Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, come on in and have a seat, and we're looking forward to this time of worship uh, today. Uh, there is a um, announcement folder on your seat or near you. You could pick that up. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'll just highlight a couple of them, and please take that. Um, if you are desirous of being on our email list, what we encourage you to do is you're not on the email list right now. After service, head out to the right of the sanctuary. There's a welcome center out there, and there will be someone there that will be able to add you to our email list, and you'll be able to get emails throughout the week. Um, but here's some uh, highlights this week. Uh, our annual administrative meeting is going to be right after church service, so, so do not go too far. I know that all of you want to go out to the uh, cafe area, um, but keep your ears open. We're going to start um, the administrative meeting soon after service uh, today. Uh, young Adults and Teen Fellowship is there. You'll see Teen Fellowship will be on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. If you have any questions, please see Pastor Tim. And I want to announce Community Blend. Community Blend, you'll see it there on the sheet. Uh, their one-year anniversary dinner is March 3rd. Uh, they're celebrating their one-year anniversary here with us here in this building. They're going to have a dinner and a show. Uh, registration is closing, I think, today, or it's closing soon. Uh, if you want to attend, um, please, there's a table outside, a Community Blend table. You'll see Jewel and Craig out there after church. And I think that's all that I have. So let me read for you Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says this, and this is the word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence when singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good. And I pray that we would make a joyful noise to you. I pray that we would do it throughout the all the earth. There are believers in you, believers in your son that are worshiping right now or will be worshiping soon, Father. I pray that as all our voices come, I pray that it would be just a melody to your ears and worship to you. I pray that we would come into your presence here as we come now with singing, Lord. Help us to know that you are God and that you made us. You're our creator and we are your creation and that we are not only your creation, but we are your people for those that know your son. Help us to enter these gates with thanksgiving, just gratitude for all that you've done, and wonder and thanksgiving, and remind us how good you are in your steadfast love. Lord, I, I pray for a number of people here in our congregation right now that are struggling with health issues. Um, Father, too many to list right now. You know them. You know the pains, the difficulties, the trials, the, the physical difficulties, the emotional difficulties, the mental difficulties that they're going through, Lord. 
Lord, I, I pray for them because it seems like sometimes it's like it's dark and they can't see the light, Lord. I pray that you would remind them that you are here, that you're with them, that your spirit guides them. I pray for wisdom for their doctors. I pray, for Lord, for healing for their bodies. And Lord, I pray for restoration for those that we know and those that we are unknown to us, Father. Pray for that. Lord, I pray for Syria and Turkey and the conflict that's going on across this world, Lord. The number of lives that are being lost around this world today, Father. We sit here in a relative level of peace. We praise you for that, but remind us of people around this world that are suffering trials right now. And Lord, for us now, I pray that we would come to your word and sing it. Come to your word and hear it preached and come to your word and respond and bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? <clears throat> I'm going to ask you guys to start with us and just the voices be the ones that sing this morning.
sin remain inside the
pray that everyone here has just left all that they have um, at your feet in worship this morning. Father, we lift up this time to you. And uh, just uh, for everyone who is going through something in life, Lord, I pray that they would just be able to receive the, the words from the preaching this morning and be encouraged. And Lord, uh, we just thank you um, for all that you give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, it's good to uh, hear the sound of children uh, here in church. Uh, I know sometimes parents probably feel maybe embarrassed or uh, kind of spotlighted, but uh, we're glad that you're here. And the sound of their voice is, uh, is really a cause of joy, right? Uh, it is the children that are the next generation of the body of Christ. So uh, we're grateful for their presence. And uh, you know, we have places for you to take them during the service if you need to do that so you can still listen. There's a mom's room over in the back corner by childcare. And so whatever needs you have in that way, uh, we just want you to know we're glad you're here and that we can tolerate a lot, okay? I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, <clears throat> chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1. The topic of our discussion this morning is Christian hope and struggle. Christian hope and struggle. Uh, when I was about uh, 20 years old, I uh, helped a man along the road fix a flat tire in his car and uh, kind of struck up a relationship with him. What really my hope was, would be a gospel relationship, an opportunity to share Christ with him and that sort of thing. And that happened for a couple months. And then we invited him to come to <clears throat> the Christmas cantata at our church. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll come. And then we said, well, you know, we can come over to our house afterwards for uh, a meal. We're going to enjoy some fellowship together and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so went to the cantata. <clears throat> Guy never showed up. I was disappointed. Got home from the cantata, kind of hanging out with some friends that were visiting with us. And uh, I was walking down the hall. There was the old color carpet, right? The red carpet uh, was on the hallway back to my, my bedroom. My bedroom was red, white, and blue square shag carpet. <laughs> and my walls were painted royal blue, okay? I have vivid memories of that room, okay? Uh, it's just like shocking, right? Very patriotic, but shocking, okay? Um, as I was going back to my bedroom, I, I saw some stuff on the floor, and I thought, I wonder what that is. And it turned out that it was vermiculite. How many of you know what vermiculite is? Not enough of you, okay? Vermiculite is a kind of a powdered um, insulation that you, you buy it in a bag and you dump it into spaces. Our whole attic was covered with vermiculite, okay? So I'm seeing this stuff on the floor. I look up at the door on the ceiling, the attic door, and I'm like, somebody was in the attic. I go to my dad and I say, Dad, he said, I think someone was in the house or is in the house. So he's in the, what we called the rec room. I don't know why you call it rec room. Now today they call it the family room. Okay, it's a lot nicer. Okay. Uh, he's in there and he said, you know what, it's funny. I thought I felt cold air. It goes into my brother's bedroom and the back window is open and there's footprints in the snow outside started to connect the dots, that the friend that I thought I had had visited our house during the cantata, and we had suffered loss. 
went up into the attic. We kept our guns in bags under the vermiculite. They weren't there anymore. How did he figure that out? (laughs) But here's the truth, okay? When you are robbed like that and you realize someone has been in your house and you have lost valuable things, uh, you, you, you have this feeling of loss, right? There, your vulnerability, right, of being open to attack. And that's how we felt that night. And in the early church, they experienced many sufferings and trials. They experienced persecution, and that persecution had the effect of making them feel lost. It made them feel vulnerable, right? Because that's the aim of those things. It's the aim of that pressure that's, that comes. It threatens to unsettle and steal hope. Now Paul is writing to exiles, to verse one, to people that are far from home. They're sojourners. They're not at their final destination. They're passing through. And in that journey, they face, according to verse six of our text, a variety of trials, right? So verse six says, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What is the effect of that kind of sustained grief and struggle? It it begins to wear you down. It makes you feel vulnerable. It makes you feel exposed and weak. And so Peter's writing to people that he knows need deep encouragement, right? They're They're in a season, an extended season of persecution. Some of it likely related to the fact that Nero was the emperor, that Rome had burned and that the Christians in the church were being blamed for the burning of Rome, right? And that brought pressure and persecution. They were maligned. Their, their, their feast of communion was distorted and called a love feast that was broken and perverted. They were attacked and they felt vulnerable and exposed like we perhaps often do. He is encouraging them to think about how to handle difficult times and follow Jesus all the way to glory. Because those attacks that come against you are intended to bump you off the rails, to derail you. And here's the question that starts to come to mind. Are we going to make it? Are we going to follow Jesus all the way to glory? At the end, will I be one of the ones, will I be part of the church that is found faithful, loving, proclaiming, glorifying God in the context of things that threaten and steal our joy? That's the question that often comes to our minds, doesn't it? in extended seasons of suffering, in extended trials, when there is pressure because of your faith in Christ, the question comes to mind, will I survive this? And Peter writes to to express truths to the church that aim at assuring or reassuring them of the hope that they have in Jesus, that if they rest in him, they will make it all the way to glory. They will realize the fullness of what James spoke about last week, the calling of God on their lives, that choosing of God, that it will come to its ultimate purpose and fruition in our lives as we trust in our Savior. You know, we live in a time when I believe that standing for biblical truths that were once assumed will become more costly. And we will experience greater threats and greater pressure because of the convictions that we hold dear that are expressed in God's truth. Our temptation will be to relinquish those truths or to compromise on those truths. This text calls us, instead of compromising, to become people that are committed to trusting Jesus Christ, knowing that he will lead us all the way to glory. 
So let's begin reading in verse three from our text. So this portion of the word of God that we will read together. Verse three says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this text begins with an exclamation, a proclamation of praise to God because Peter understands, he saw personally, he was a eyewitness to the work of Jesus, ultimately to the resurrection. And as a result, he has been transformed. He is a man who is full of deep and profound energy and hope related to the fullness of, God, fullness of God's promises. And then he tells us why we should be singing praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, this glorious hope of salvation, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though it is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, Peter says to the church, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are being filled with an inexpressible joy for you are now receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. You pray with me, Father, as we look at this text on suffering and as we reckon with the impact of suffering and pressure on our lives, may we come to realize how desperately we need to know your promises. And Lord, Peter, under the direction of your spirit, lays out four very beautiful truths that encourage our hearts and that cause us to realize that yes, we can be faithful to the end. We can make it all the way to glory, living lives that honor and magnify our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, assure us of these things today. Open our eyes to see these things because, Lord, these are truths that, that a human eye can't comprehend. We need to have your spirit illuminating these things for us because they are so desperately needed. So bless your word. To our hearts we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's, let's just, we're gonna work through four benefits, four blessings that God gives to his children in seasons of suffering. And, and what I mean by that is this. There are things that we know are true when we're not suffering, but there's a difference between knowing and knowing. Does that make sense? I mean, I can know the truths, but when I'm in a season of struggle and that truth by the Spirit is made clear, it's illuminated, it's magnified, when that happens, I know it in a way that I did not know it before. Okay? And so, Let's work through these and think about them in the context of your life today. So the first promise that we're given in verse three is a living hope. So Peter says, in his great mercy, God has given you new birth into a living hope. 
And that is to say that the hope that we have that is living is a result of the new birth. It's a result of the work of regeneration that God does in our hearts where he opens our eyes and makes us alive to and aware of things that before we did not and could not comprehend. So this hope that Christians have begins with new birth, and that is the miracle by which I become a Christian by which I am made alive to God and made aware of truths related to God. His blessings become personal. By birth, I become a child of God. He has become my heavenly father who is devoted to my protection and benefit in my life. And so Peter says we have been brought into this hope, this living hope, by virtue of a work of God. And the word literally means that we have been born again by God, right? In John chapter three, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So maybe you've had someone ask you this. I, as a pastor, have had this asked of me regularly. Are you a born again Christian? Okay, and, and the implication is what? A born-again Christian is a kind of Christian, right? And they already have a presupposition in their mind of what a born-again Christian is, maybe scary, okay? Here's the truth from Scripture. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. So being born again isn't a type of Christian. Being born again is a work of God that makes you a Christian, Okay, what is it? It's a celebration of new birth that is done by the initiative of God. And the text says that it's in his great mercy that he has given us new birth. That is to say he withholds what we deserve and he pours abundant blessings into our lives. So the new birth brings you into a realm, into a sphere of relationship. It makes you family with God and with his people. And that by virtue, not of your own effort. This is an unmerited blessing. It is an undeserved blessing. It is a gift from God that is motivated, this text says, by his great mercy. In his great mercy, what I deserve falls on Jesus Christ. And the blessings that are rightly belonging to Christ flow to me. And I don't deserve it. And that leads to the next part of this verse where Paul says, you've been given new birth. You're in relationship with God. And that relationship with God gives you a living hope that is made known through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So God has brought you into his family. And in that family, you are given something called a living hope. And that living hope is made sure by the resurrection of Christ. Implication is this, if Christ was raised from the dead, then believers also in Christ who have been born, and the word born again, by the way, means born from above. Those who have been born from above will also participate in the blessing of resurrection. That's Christian hope at the core of it. And it's interesting that here he describes it not as hope in the sense of optimism, right? We, we tend to live in a world where optimism is the substitute for hope. Hope is not optimism. Hope is not looking on the bright side. Hope is not the sun will come up tomorrow. 
Okay, and there's something about those things that we find attractive because it gives us an indication that our suffering is temporary, but things will get better, right? Oh, you'll get over it. We say that to people sometimes. Hey, I'm having a bad day. Hey, tomorrow will be better. That's optimism, but that doesn't change anything. Christian hope is not based in a positive outlook, hoping for positive outcomes. Christian hope in scripture talks about a confidence that is living. That is to say this, God through the work of Jesus has birthed you into a family and in that family you have living hope. So in the gospel of John, Jesus talked about living water, right? And when Jesus, so the woman comes to the well for physical water, Jesus gives her a promise of living water and he describes it. He says, living water will be in you like a spring bubbling up onto everlasting life. It is, a, it, it, it is coming by static pressure. It is, it is being born up and it is unstoppable. You can't stop it. You can only redirect it. And the same thing is true with the resurrection. He has given us perennial confidence. That is hope that can't be extinguished by my current circumstance. Folks, I want you to think about that for a minute. Because there are many times in our lives as Christians where our circumstances diminish our hope and should not. Because my hope in Christ is not affected by my latest diagnosis. It's not extinguished by personal pain, by rejection, by isolation by being marginalized. It is living hope. It is, it is unstoppable. It is perennial. I, when I was, I, I had it in my notes and I took it up, but I'm going to share this, okay? I thought, it, it's like bamboo, okay? Bamboo is called what? what? What kind of species is it? Do you guys know what kind of species bamboo is? No, sir. It's an invasive species. Okay, meaning you're not, it's illegal to plant it in the state of New Jersey because it has a tendency to take over. Yes. At first it looks beautiful yes. and then it becomes invasive. It's everywhere. That's what Paul's saying. Not in the annoying way of bamboo, which is why I took it out of my notes, okay? <laughs> but the truth is our hope should be invasive, perennial, unstoppable, because we know the truth. The resurrected king who's be sung is resurrecting you. By his name you come alive to declare a victory, not yours, but your participation in his after suffering. Do you understand that? Yes. Peter saying to the church, resurrection, living, perennial hope is yours through the resurrection of Christ from the dead after his suffering. So in the midst of your suffering, remember that the victory of Christ came after his suffering. Does that make sense? We tend to want hope that is never shaken. The resurrection of Christ and the preciousness of that hope for your life is rooted in the fact that it follows suffering. It brings you out of that pain or it leads you through that pain. It sustains you through that pain because it is perennial. It never lets go. It never stops coming. It is confidence that is rooted in a past act of God following the suffering of the Savior. 
So I have to address of personal suffering, okay? Last Sunday, there was a football game. <laughs> and I watched it live. <laughs> Which meant what? It meant the whole time I'm sitting on the couch and I'm kind of squirming, you know. <laughs> it gets into the fourth quarter, I'm, I'm just, I'm all torn up, as was Anthony Bono sitting over here. Okay, he loaned me a shirt so that when I was in Kansas with my daughter, we could show the pride, and then I had to rip it off, okay? <laughs> I, I, don't like I don't like the stress of are we going to win? How do you avoid that stress? And how you avoid it? You pre-record the game. <laughs> you find out the outcome, and then you watch it in a completely different way. Meaning what? It doesn't matter what happens. If the quarterback is carted off the field on a golf cart, the, mine, it doesn't matter. Because I already know the outcome. And there isn't stress, no matter what happens. Does that make sense? We as Christians have a pre-recorded story. And God in Christ has assured he's given you a, 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 a pre-recorded version of your future in the person of Christ. And that pre-recorded version tells me that death itself cannot destroy or extinguish the living hope that we have in Christ. Amen. Folks, that's something we need to remember. Paul says in, 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 in Romans chapter 6 when he's talking about our union with Christ, the nature of this bond that we share with Christ, he says, if you die with him, if you died with him, you will also what? Live with him. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's showing us that if Christ, then us. And there is in our living hope an already blessing. We know that it's pre-recorded. We know that the victory of Christ is ours. It's a matter of time for the game to play out and then we will see that in Christ there is victory because he already has overcome the grave after suffering. And his overcoming the grave after suffering gives me hope in my suffering. Do you see? There's a mirror image. Well, the second truth that he points to is found in verses four through five and it's this Simple word, the word inheritance. Inheritance is interesting, isn't it? It indicates that being part of a family bestows privileges. That relationship brings with it certain benefits. Okay? Uh, there are some within our church family who have experienced the blessing of adoption. Okay, what does that mean? It means if you have been selected, adoption is to choose someone, no merit of their own, to choose them to be part of your family, and by virtue of becoming part of your family, they now have an inheritance. There's something coming to them because they are related to you, or at least we hope so, okay? In four through five, here's what Paul or Peter teaches us. We have a future 
secured by God. And he uses this word, inheritance, and an inheritance by definition, theologically, is all that God secures for us in our saving. The word salvation is the inheritance of believers. It's something we experience in the past, but it has massive future ramifications, okay? And if you look at this text, look at verse, in verse five, towards the end of the verse, until the coming of the salvation, okay? Verse six starts with the presumed salvation. In all this, in this salvation, you now greatly rejoice. End of verse nine, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, beginning at verse 10, concerning this salvation. Okay, so there is a distinct theme that saturates this text. The theme is rescue, future hope, and present assurance. So we're saved, but we have not yet experienced the fullness of our salvation. Does that make sense? It's ours, Ephesians says we're already seated with him in heavenly places. Think about that. We already are there in the mind and eye of God. And we are to live in light of that future inheritance. That's all coming our way in an unstoppable fashion. Suffering unsettles. It, it predicts losses of joy, of resources, of relationships. And in this text, what does Peter point to? In the midst of those losses, he wants us to remember that yes, you may lose that, you may lose that, but you can never lose this. And that this is our inheritance, which is the full picture of our salvation from the day you're born again till the day that you're sitting in heaven with God, enjoying pleasures forevermore. He gives us a future secured by God. I want you to see the way he does this and says this. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The idea of being kept in heaven is that it is secured by God. It is an inheritance, verse four, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. These are really interesting words. And Paul, what is Paul doing? Paul's piling up words to pile up in your heart, what? hope and assurance, right? So when he talks about what's coming our way, meaning the full blessings of what it is to be born into God's family, he says that it can't perish. That means simply it can't be taken by hostile actors, okay? Recently, my mom wrote a check for $50 to our daughter, Jessica, in Kansas. She thought it was a good idea to send it in the mail. By the way, if you're watching what's going on in the world you live in, it's probably not wise to send checks in the mail anymore, okay? Because here's what happened. Somebody took the $50 check and washed it. Washed it means to remove the ink. And then they put in a new beneficiary. And they put in a new amount, $7,500. And the bank paid the check. Okay, how did my mom feel? My mom wears her feelings on her sleeve. She felt defrauded. She felt vulnerable. She felt bad, like guilt. Right? A, a whole array of bad emotions. My dad's like, come on, just move on. I'm like, no, you got to go get that. Right? We need justice. Right? So I went through the whole process with forensics and TD Bank and everything and finally got it resolved. 
The inheritance that God has for you cannot be taken by hostile actors. It cannot be compromised. It cannot be diminished because it is kept secured by a grand custodian. Therefore, it can't spoil. That is to say, it can't be corrupted. The idea of spoiling is uh, if, if, if a, a beautiful garment is permanently stained, okay? I have an affection in the winter for flannel shirts, okay? And I've had favorite flannel shirts and I make the mistake of going into a house and painting while wearing it, okay? And then you get paint on that shirt and what happens to its value? It's kind of like, oh man, right? It, that incursion of something that didn't belong there reduced or stole the value of. And this text is saying that God's promises, his inheritance can't be corrupted and it can't fade. What fades? I thought of two things when I was thinking about this. Our furniture has faded, right? It's in the sunlight. And, it, and when it fades, guess what? It is, it, it is not attractive as it was when we bought it. It's not even what we purchased, because the sun has diminished its value. It's, 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 it's deconstructed it in some way. The brightness of the colors that attracted us, it, us to it are gone. They're lost. And the other thing that fades is flowers. Okay, you get them and they, they, they within days, lose the luster that they had when you open up that, you know, flowers for us box, right? And it, it just, it was brilliant, it was attractive, it was hopeful, it gave joy. And then a couple days later, you're like, okay, let's throw them away. Okay, discard it, okay? And so what Peter is saying to the church is, in Christ, in spite of suffering, you already have a secured future. You have an inheritance that is kept for you. In Matthew 16, when Jesus came, or when Peter came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What will it be for us? And Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Folks, we in Christ, we have a treasure in our salvation. We have access to blessings that cannot be diminished by the pain of life or by your sorrow. They cannot lose their attraction. They cannot fade because they are kept in heaven by a grand custodian. And it's interesting, they are kept in heaven for you. Meaning if you've been born from above, if you've experienced the new birth, if you're a born again Christian with a renewed heart, God has for you distinct blessings. He wants you to know about them today so that in your suffering, you're sustained you experience his confidence. The text also makes a promise to us in verse five. It says that we are kept by God. So our inheritance is secured by God in heaven and we are kept for that inheritance. Okay, I want you to think about this. The idea of verse five is this. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. And the word shielded, it's interesting that the idea of shield comes up in that word because it is to be guarded by the military. Okay, it is to be surrounded by body armor. It is to be in an impenetrable location where you are safe and secure. Because here's the truth. Who cares if there's a future promise if I'm not going to make it there because of the suffering that I'm experiencing? 
right? And so what does Peter say? He says, don't think of that suffering as something that takes you away from your treasure. Thinking, think of your suffering as something that one day in death will free you to enjoy that treasure in a way that you never could before. And that treasure is secure. It is undiminishable because it is guarded by God himself. Does that make sense when you think about why David said, thou, O Lord, art a shield about me? You protect me entirely so that I will get to your prize, so that no matter what's going on, no matter what assails, no matter what assaults, it may threaten, it may shake, but it can't destroy. And I love the way verse 5 says that we are shielded by the power of God until. Folks, this text is encouraging you not only with blessings that you have today, but blessings that you will have after. Whatever it is that is threatening your stability today. And I hope you can lay hold of that. These are kept in heaven until by the power of God, by the protection of God. They are secured there. It's interesting that Peter is the disciple who wondered about this, right? Peter sacrificed so much. He and all the disciples come to Jesus. Peter decides to be the spokesperson of the general concern. He brings the consensus. Lord, what will there be for us? We who have left mothers and fathers and houses and jobs, we left everything to follow you. And Peter's question is a good question. Lord, what about us? What about the sacrifice that we have made? And Jesus looks at Peter. And I just wonder about his tone. Peter's all worked up. Peter's very visual, right? He's, he, it's, you know, I never wonder what Peter's thinking. He just blurts it out. Jesus looks at, looks at Peter. He says, I tell you, and, and think about this, when the world is made new, when you come to the end of your salvation experience that you have now and that you will receive in the future, when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will sit on 12 thrones, everyone who has left houses and brothers and mothers and sisters and fathers for my sake will receive 100 times. What is Jesus saying? He's not asking you to get out your calculator and compare what you have given up times 100 and say, that's what I'm looking forward to. He's saying what is coming your way will completely settle and resolve your concerns. Lay hold of it now. He's saying, Peter, take these promises. Take this truth. I've kept something for you. It can't spoil. It can't perish. It can't fade. It cannot be stolen by the trials that you're going through. And he says, oh yeah, Peter. And in addition to that, eternal life. Same idea, living hope. Do you guys know what trinkets are? The word is, is, when you say it, you understand what it means, but I had to look up a definition, okay? Just because it's the way I am. So I asked Siri, so what are trinkets? Trinkets, jewelry that is of little value. God is promising to Peter, and Peter is promising to the church an inheritance. Now, we have some grandkids in our life, and I am amazed at the things they treasure. 
okay, because they're trinkets. At one level, let's be honest, they're pathetic, right? You understand what I'm saying? They'll, they'll cry if someone takes it because it's mine, right? But it doesn't have any value. Yeah, but it's mine. Now, look, if you're fighting for something that has value, I understand the fight. But if you're fighting over trinkets, it's foolish. Folks, listen to me. As Christians, everything in you have in this life is subject to theft and decay. Everything. And God has given you a... And, and by the way, at the end of your life, you leave it all behind. It's the definition of a trinket. Jewelry that looks good but actually has no lasting value. It can't stand the test of time. And we're like little kids saying, God, I have to have this to be happy. I have to have this to be happy. And God's saying, no, you don't. You only have to have me to be happy. That's why David the psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand. Pleasures that last forever. Folks, don't trade the inheritance. Don't dilute your living hope by hanging on to temporal things, which means even life itself. In the struggle, in the season of loss, discouragement, fear, in the middle of it, remember your hope and remember that God has secured your presence when it is given, that you will be there. We have ultimate treasure and fullness and joy and blessing lies just beyond our suffering. And that's what Peter says to the church. Yeah, you're going through a hard time. I get it. Yeah, it's hard. I get it. But just beyond that season of struggle, there is an ultimate treasure that can never be taken away from you. Suffering, rejection, and criticism, and persecution may wear me down but they can never thwart the promises of God. You know, we sing a song in our church called So I Cling to Christ. And one of the verses in that song says this. It says, it's all that I can do to keep my hold on you, but my only hope and peace is that you cling to me. I think that may be where that's coming from. There's a treasure kept for you. But you are kept for that treasure. And your suffering can never diminish, can never extinguish, can never take away the things that God has promised to those who love him. I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to stop there today. And Doug, if you're okay, I'll finish that text next week. In verse 6, Paul says this. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Which is simply to say this. That the living hope that springs up that is undiminished and the inheritance that God has for us at one level causes us to rejoice. But I would argue 
based on Paul's statement here in all this, that he's probably reaching back even into verse one, the truths that James covered last Sunday become the ground of assurance and hope for believers. In all this, not the things that God has in the sense of treasures for us. Please understand how I say this. But it is the salvation that is brought up repeatedly in this text that is the ground of assurance, that is the wellspring of hope. It is the persistent encouragement for believers. In all this, we rejoice. Why? Because our joy as Christians is not rooted in our circumstances. Because if it was, we would vacillate, right? Wildly. What stabilizes us? What causes the swings to be less exaggerated? What causes peace to come in our life? You know what it is? It's remembering all this. And all this in context is joy that is not rooted in circumstances, but in the saving activity of God, which in verses one to five is laid out. And, and some of the reformers in the past called, called this the, or, 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 the order salutis, right? It was the order of salvation. It is how God works things out for our saving. In Christ, I am chosen. I have new birth. I am assured of my resurrection by his resurrection. In the present, I am sanctified by the Spirit progressively. I am loved by God. I am sprinkled with the blood of Christ. That is that I am given the gift of cleansing. I am forgiven. I have mercy from God. I have hope of eternal life. I am an heir of God. I am kept by the power of God. And in him, my future is secure in the hope of Christ's coming. So he gives verses one to five, and then he's going to go into what it is like when we suffer, and what our relationship to the Old Testament prophets actually is. Okay, and you can read ahead, and try to get, get a little bit of a bearing, but I want to, what I want to close with this morning is the very simple and beautiful truth that what is written here in Peter, this order of salvation that I can look at that unfolds through my Christian experience. And sometimes we regress a little bit, right? We have to relay hold of our hope. We have to, again, be sprinkled by the blood of Christ. We need to experience his cleansing. We need him to assure our hope to pick us up and, and encourage us to move forward, right? We need that repeatedly. These truths are not written so that I can be smarter, Okay? God doesn't tell you about the complexities of salvation so that you can say, I get it. I get it. He, he doesn't write to inform you. Does it do that? Does it teach me? Yes, and we're called to learn. But if learning is not the end, it's not the aim. The aim is changing how I live today. Does that make sense? God doesn't pour out this flood of truth and this beautiful inheritance so that I can say, okay, I know more. I'm leaving church today. I know things I didn't know before. It's not so that you can be smarter and full mentally, intellectually. But it's so that you can be transformed. Romans 12.1 says it this way, doesn't it? In light of the mercies of God, be transformed by the renewing of your heart. Deuteronomy 29, 
29 tells us the purpose of God's revelation. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And what is that? What are secret things? Things that are unrevealed, that are unexposed, things that I don't know. Truths about God, truths about heaven. I have a whole lot of questions as most of you do. The secret things belong to God. And sometimes it's best for Tim Hoff to say, you know what God, you're probably not telling me that for a reason. You didn't give me a full answer on that question and there's probably a good reason that you didn't do that. But here's what Moses goes on to say. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed are for us and our children. Folks, I want you to know something. God is not saying, I told you this so that you could know. Hey, I have told you this so you could change. Okay? Because we have a tendency to get caught up in intellectualism. We tend to think that salvation is based upon what you know. Or that salvation is based upon your behavior, the way you live. But salvation is based upon being born again by the power and grace of God. So the question that each of us has to face this morning and should ask ourselves is, am I a Christian? Another way to ask that is, have I been born from above? Have I experienced a a change of heart that led to brokenness and repentance and confession of my sin and placed my hope in Jesus Christ alone? Because if you have, you have been born again into a living hope and you have an inheritance that is meant to change how you live when you lose things today through suffering. So when suffering steals, what is God doing? He's saying, I got that. I got that. It's safe, it's secure. It's kept in heaven for you. My tendency is to pursue trinkets. My tendency is to value trinkets, theological truths, clarity about things other people don't understand. Okay, and what Paul is saying is those are trinkets. They don't have sustained and lasting value. But if you have been born from above, if you have been shocked by the grace of God, if it has impacted you and changed you and drawn you to confess Christ as Savior, you have been born again, born enough from above. God has invaded your life, and that invasion aims to sustain you in your seasons of struggling. Years ago, I read a little book called The Cross-Centered Life. An interesting book, because in it, it talks about just the very fundamental truths of the Christian life, the very basics of what Christ has done for us, which are so rich and, 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 and precious when you lay hold of them, right? But here's the problem. When I'm going through seasons of struggle, what do I tend to do? I tend to talk to myself, or I'm sorry, let me say it this way. I tend to listen to myself rather than talk to myself, right? I listen to the voice of fear, of intimidation, of loss, of inadequacy, of isolation. And you know what I do then? I fret because I'm hanging on to trinkets. God does his work in your heart 
and he lays it out for you in this text so beautifully so that you can start talking to yourself. Don't listen to all those spontaneous emotions that pop up. What about this? What about this? What if this happens? What if I lose that? What if this person doesn't like me? The gospel secures you. And you take the gospel and you proclaim it to yourself. You rehearse it. You review it repeatedly. That's why I love coming on Sunday morning and singing songs about the cross. Right, because the cross assures me of what? Of, my, of the depth of my sinfulness and the great reach of God's love, grace, and forgiveness in Christ. And when we, so 1 Thessalonians says what? Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual long songs. Sing and make melody, make beauty in your hearts to the Lord. So we come on Sunday and we sing the gospel why do we sing the gospel so regularly? I remember one young man that uh, is part of our church family. He said, you know, my brother came to church and he, he just doesn't get why you guys get all so excited when you sing. He said, I just, I mean, I, I see it. I, I have a level of appreciation, but I don't, I don't get it. I remember watching one of those uh, talent shows on TV. I forget which one it was. But I remember a girl singing a song of worship in spectacular fashion. And I remember one of the seasoned judges saying, I just didn't get that. Oh, wow. He knew that she got it and made that observation. But he said, I don't get that. Isn't that amazing? Folks, if you get it, if you've been born from above, and if you're treasured by God, and he has secured your future, and you come and you sing, you get it. You get that in God's presence, there's fullness of joy, there's assurance, there's hope, there's confidence. So what are you facing today? As a pastor, you know things. You know struggles that people are facing. And you know the impact of those struggles on people's lives. Don't offer people trinkets when you have living hope. Don't tell people, oh, it'll get better. Pat on the back. Pathetic. Pathetic trinkets. Our hope is secured in the resurrection. And death cannot defeat it. And sickness cannot defeat it. Because after, after it, the blessings of salvation will flood your life. What struggle are you facing? What pain are you enduring that is stealing your joy? What relational disruption is plaguing your life and filling your mind so that there is no room in your heart and mind for the glory of Christ? You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to take your burdens and give them to him.
And as you give them to him, he wants to fill you, not with trinkets, but with precious truth that aims to change your life today. Folks, that is not to say that the suffering you're experiencing is not real and that it is not grief, because it is. Christians aren't people that put on a happy face because it's the right thing to do. Christians are people that grieve and hope. That's what a Christian does. Because they know that by virtue of their new birth, they are heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. And that hope fills them and thrills them. It makes trinkets put in their proper place. And it gives you the beautiful gift of eternal life. Would you pray with me this morning? As we go to prayer, I wonder this morning, have you been born again? Has the Spirit of God convicted, brought you to a place of confession, shocked you with the grace of God, and brought you to a place of confession and trust in Christ? Man, I hope that's true for you. Because if it is not true, suffering and trials will threaten to destroy you. Faith in Christ can assure you. And if you've never trusted Christ, you've never come to a place where you realize the beauty of what Christ did for you on the cross and his desire to give you new birth into a living hope and an inheritance. My prayer for you this morning before God is this. Father, I pray that you will give to that individual a conviction of sin, a conviction of their brokenness, the truth that they are undeserving but loved that you would change their heart today and give them the gift of faith, the, the capacity to believe, to repent, to confess, and to be born from above. And Father, my prayer is that if you do that in someone's heart this morning, I pray that even as we sing, they may come up to the front and say, Pastor Tim, Pastor Doug, Pastor James, today, today, I was born from above. Today, God changed my heart. You don't know him, he wants to know you. And he has made a way. Maybe you're here this morning as a Christian and you are losing your grip on hope in Christ. Maybe you need to come to the front, come to the altar and just kneel and pray as the service ends and meet with God. Maybe you need to say today, God, I have been pursuing trinkets, jewelry that has no value. I have been so pathetically attracted the things that have not sustained and have not filled and have not brought joy and hope. And confess those things to him and lay hold of Jesus in a fresh way today. Lord, do a work in our hearts. We trust you and how desperately we need you in our suffering. Pray these blessings in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Uh, I'm just going to say this as we sing. Our meeting will happen about 10 minutes after the service. So if you're going to go out, uh, come back in. If you have a need to know Christ, the altar's open. Come.
Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To
Sustain us through. In Jesus' name, amen.